Welcome to the Emmaus Fellowship Teaching Podcast. We trust you find this encouraging. Emmaus Fellowship is located at 205 North Pine Street in Woodland Park, Colorado. Our phone number is 719-687-6061. We trust you find this encouraging as you pour over God's Word with us. Gave me a voice and a song Taught me how to sing So at the beginning of the the year, and this happens on occasion, I ask the Lord, uh, what would you like for me to focus on in the way of your word? And sometimes he'll have me just read multiple books in a year, and there are some years when he just has me focus on one book for the entire year. one year, I remember it was Galatians. Another year, it was Colossians. I just, I just want to just stay true to like, okay, I'm getting that. It doesn't mean I can't venture off and read other things, but there's something where the Lord just wants me to just stop there in that book and just auger down and just go deeper and deeper, read it and reread it, read commentaries about it, read books about people's ideas about it, talk to people about it, but really get into the book. More than the book itself, really get into what Jesus is wanting me to know in particular for that year. And um, so I'm going to start something that I haven't done, I don't think ever, at this church. So it's a frontier for me. For those of you who may not know, I've been here a long time, like, 25 years like this is my 26th year and for me to say I've never done this before like kind of freaks me out because for me to actually say the words what I'm about to say holds me accountable to do something dang it I'd rather just fly by the seat of my pants most Sundays but the Lord has it on me to actually teach the book of James this year. And I'm going to take multiple Sundays throughout the year. I don't know if it's going to be every single time I speak. I don't think it's going to be like digging into each word of the book, but I think there are themes that are worthy of our attention. And I think the Lord has put it on my heart and he has put it on my heart as a pastor as your friend, to help us discover together what James is saying in his letter to the Jews, who were believers in Jesus. So they were what we would call Messianic Jews, right? But they were followers of Jesus who had been raised in the Jewish tradition. And they are now followers of Jesus, and they have been dispersed. They have been scattered throughout the nations. And so I want to just take some time uh, this, this year, and I'll start this morning by talking about the book of James and the things that James has to say. This morning's going to be more, uh, uh, there's going to be a bit of an overview. 
Some of you, you know tremendous amount about James. Many of us don't. And so I wanted to just take some time. Now, James here, uh, you may know his name as James the Just. That's kind of his nickname. But you know that if you were reading this in the Hebrew text, you would actually be reading his name as Jacob. And Jacob is the brother of Jesus. So Jesus' younger brother. And there's a couple of references here that point to that, Matthew 13, 55, and then Mark 6, 3. And it's understood that James was actually not a believer in Jesus until after the resurrection. And so John 7, 3 through 5, kind of points to the fact that James was not one of the, like, original disciples in that sense. He, he waited until after the resurrection, and we see that in Acts 1.14, 1 Corinthians 15.7, Galatians 1.19. And he became the head of the Jerusalem church, and it's mentioned that he is a pillar of the church. So you think about his journey. This book was actually written... Um, in AD 45. So this is considered the oldest book of the New Testament. Uh, many of the other books were written much later, like in, you know, AD 60 or whatever it is. So before the New Testament was written, the message of Jesus Christ, the, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the teachings were actually um, oral tradition. It was all just by oral tradition that the, the stories of Christ, the parables, all of these things were passed down through the decades after Jesus was raised and ascended. And so if you think about it, this, this book right here, the book of James, was written uh, um, before the first council in Jerusalem, which was actually in AD 50. Now, some of you are like, Jesus Christ, did you become like this college professor now? We're going to have this like sort of like Bible text study? Well, maybe a little bit. Because I think it's important for us to actually study. It's important for us to actually jump in and get more than concepts thrown at us, but actually dig into the deeper context of culture, the deeper context of what was going on in the larger community of faith, and the, even some of the lenses that these folks wore when they saw the world, when they imagined God, when they saw their place in the world. Because um, believe it or not, we were not the original intended audience. Okay? So the Jewish believers who had been scattered throughout the world were the original intended audience for James's letter that he wrote. Now, you, you know that James was martyred, right? So he was murdered in AD 62, and, um, and that's according to the historian Josephus, all right? So this being said, I want you to think about something. Before we go into kind of the purpose for the book, I want you to think about what it must have been like for followers of Jesus from the Jewish tradition, from the Jewish roots, from their homeland to be scattered? 
What would it take to scatter a people? Do you guys know? Persecution. There were death squads going out, hunting down Christians and killing them. And um, this wasn't just the Romans doing this. This was also the religious leaders of the day. Like we know about Saul. Saul, who had a conversion experience on the road to Damascus, met Jesus and became Paul and wrote many letters to the churches. Um, and we have those in the, in the New Testament. But people like Saul were incredibly zealous and they were after Christians. And so there was a scattering that happened and it was a survival. It was actually a refugee status that many of these folks found themselves in. I mean, if you think about the refugees that are coming into the United States from Afghanistan, for example, they are scattered from everything they knew. Their home, their family of origin, the fabric of their culture, their food, their language, everything that they were familiar with, everything that they were comfortable with, everything that brought them a sense of place and peace from a standpoint of this is my this is my home. And they were displaced. And so this is a really important point because James is pastoring these people. When he's writing this letter, he's writing this letter to people who find themselves in refugee status, essentially. And they find themselves in a place that's foreign to them, in a place that they're not welcomed necessarily, where they're prejudiced against. They're there's all these different dynamics and challenges. So this is important because what this is saying to me is that James is pastoring people to, and encouraging them to hold true to their faith and hold true to the things that Jesus has taught them in light of the fact that their life is very difficult and that there has been huge upheaval and perhaps a tremendous amount of trauma some of these folks have probably lost loved ones. And so it's important for us to think about this because we have to kind of like ask the question, why is James writing this particular book? Because honestly, over the course of the last 2,000 years of church history, the book of James has actually been criticized quite a bit. There were many um, in early church history that thought that that book should not actually be in the New Testament. And I think that um, the reason why this letter was written is for, for some, they believe that it was a response to kind of like this overzealous interpretation of some of the other teachings of the faith, in particular Paul's teachings regarding faith. Now I'm going to talk a little bit about a, a comparison contrast here in just a moment. Um, there was actually an extreme view that many in the church grabbed hold of some of the teachings of Paul. And um, have you ever heard of antinomianism? I hadn't until I'd done some research. And this thing emerged in the church called antinomianism, and it held that through faith in Jesus Christ, one is com a person is completely free from any law, including Old Testament code of conduct, including secular law, 
including the morality of the society. And so there was a, a real um, movement in the early church that took the teachings of Paul. And we could actually look at this in modern day too. And we could say that, yeah, there's a ditch over there. And if you're not careful, you could take the teachings of Paul and you could lean over into this place where there's no rule that I have to submit to other than the rule of Christ and that his like, work in my life justifying me by faith is enough that period, like I don't have to do anything else. And I actually agree with portions of that. In fact, if it was a spectrum where over here on this end, it would be like in order for you to be justified, you have to earn your way in God, like you have to obey the law, then I would say no to that. Um, But I would also say that James is answering something that's really very important for us all here. Because many throughout church history consider James's letter to be a contradiction of the gospel of faith because he actually talks about works. James actually talks about doing works. And so we have to kind of make some distinctions here at the onset of what I want to share. In fact, if you were a Lutheran and you followed the the, the teachings of Martin Luther, um, he actually detested the letter. He actually called the book of James the epistle of straw. I know, right? Um, basically, what he failed to recognize is that James' teaching on good works complemented, not contradicted, Paul's teachings on faith. A lot of the Pauline teachings concentrate on our justification with God and James's teachings concentrate on the works that exemplify or are an example of that justification. And so we're going to dig into this just a little bit because in this letter, James emphasizes that good works will naturally flow from those who are filled with the Holy Spirit, the fruits of the Holy Spirit active in their life. And so that being said, James does emphasize that we are justified by faith, but need to express that faith through works. But it's the works of faith and not the works of the law. Okay? So, that being said, I don't see, I don't see a contradiction here, and I'll just share with you a little bit of my own personal stance on this, okay? So I'll just pause and take a breath. My personal stance is this that we are saved through faith in Jesus Christ, period. It is by faith alone that we are justified, that we're established, and that we're transformed into the love of God. I believe that wholeheartedly. And I believe that as we receive the gift of life, whether that's eternal life or abundant life, the here and now life, we are empowered by the Holy Spirit in such a way that our lives represent the life and the ways of Jesus through our actions, through our good works. So in short, our salvation is a gift from God and our works are a gift for others. Our salvation is a gift from God and our works are a gift to others. And I think you know, as we look at this, I view these teachings as really an extension of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. 
I was um, asked recently because, you know, I get into conversations with a, a lot of folks about a lot of different things. And many people are very passionate about what they're passionate about. And, and sometimes um, as I'm having conversations with Christians who are convinced of, like, for example, um, well, I know that there are extremes, even locally, like not far, that would say that we, we should learn how to take up arms as Christians and defend our Second Amendment rights. And I would say, well, how many people would need to be killed in order for you to maintain your Second Amendment right? And some people would say as many as it takes. Dramatic pause. I'm like, whoa. And you're a Christian, right? And then I almost have to ask, well, what Jesus are you following? Because the Jesus I know surrendered his will and gave up his life for you and me. And um, anyway, I don't want to go off too deep into that. But one of the things that I have to circle back around to constantly is what works in a day and age when we are so polarized and there's all of these like conversations that talk about, you know, defending our rights and so on and so forth. And I would say, let's go back to the teachings of Jesus and the Sermon on the Mount. And let's actually look at James's teaching because I believe that James is an extension of the Sermon on the Mount because he's actually talking about behavior. He's actually talking about the way we live our life. And anyway, that's kind of an interesting thing, isn't it? So I believe that we can learn a lot from James, a pillar of the first generation church who is pastoring believers in Jesus Christ as they experience tremendous infringement on their rights. Hardship, persecution, martyrdom. We're not hearing a whole lot about martyrdom these days. I know I'm stepping on some toes. I'm okay with that. I think I'm drawn to this because over the past several months, I've experienced people who claim to be Christians who are behaving very poorly. None of y'all. But it's sad, you know, when you realize that some of the meanest people you know go to church every week. Our actions matter, our talk matters, it matters. It matters in the sense that we are representing the person of Jesus. As the church, we are his body. So we want to be built up as a body that resembles him, as he resembles God to us. The goodness of God that we sing about, our lives can reflect that. Our lives are intended to reflect that. And so I think 
the book of James is going to do a, do a thorough job of stepping on some of our toes. And I'm okay with that. I actually need my toes stepped on sometimes because, you know what, left to my own devices, I would imagine a life devoid of having any restraints put on it. I would do whatever I want, whenever I want, however I want. And it wouldn't necessarily reflect the ways of Jesus. But I actually want my life to be informed by the teachings of Christ, by the gospel of Jesus Christ, and by his ways. That's what I want. And the reason why I want that isn't just so that, um, you know, I will be blessed and experience freedom. That is a perk. But so that the people that I love in this city can also experience the blessings of God and freedoms in Christ. And how else will they be attracted to him? Not by losing an argument, but by experiencing the kindness of God through our lives, through the good works that we do. So, take your Bibles and go to James. Okay, so James 1, verse 1. I need my glasses. Greetings. My name is James or Jacob. Maybe your interpretation there, your um, translation reads that. I am a slave or a bondservant or a love slave, which kind of has some nice language to it, but I am God's slave. Okay, we could park it there, and we could, we could look at the fact that the word slave is used when an author like Paul or James or others are identifying th- themselves to a group of people. They're identifying themselves as a bondservant of God and of Christ. And we'll, we'll go more into that here in just a second. I'm writing to all the 12 tribes of Israel that have been sown as seeds among the nations. We'll pause there. So the word slave there, doulas, it means to be devoted to another to the disregard of one's own interests. So I want you to think about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And I want you to think about his prayer. And I want you to think about the fact that he did not actually want to go to the cross. Like this was really an act of submission to the will of the Father for him to go into the passion and go into just everything that he went through. Now, you understand then that he is modeling for us what it means to be a bondservant to God. That he is submitting his life to God and to God's will over his own interest. And so you and I, this could be the very first thing that we're challenged with in the reading of James. Like he's identifying himself as a bondservant. And if we were to take a mirror and look back and have it reflect into our own lives, we could really be challenged with the degree of submission that we have to the will of God. 
And we could actually kind of move into this, this realm of um, exploration and reflection on the choices that we make where we may not even like ask God for his opinion about what we do. Big things, where we move, what kind of job we take, what kind of thing we are into. It's like, you know that as, as followers of Jesus, we have chosen to submit our lives to his will. And so we can identify ourselves as bond servants of Christ, but not just in theory, but actually. And so I think it's really important for us to take a look at this word and to say, look, I want to be someone who chooses to act in a way that is submitted to the will of God. And I think as followers of Jesus, we need to trumpet this a little bit. Like, it's okay for us to be challenged by some reflection and some survey, like, Holy Spirit, search me. Where am I withholding? Like, my willingness to yield. Like, where am I withholding that? All right. Um, I want to just point to a couple things here because one of the first things that James does, and we're going to start here in verse 2, is he starts to talk about the ways that our lives can be more and more reflecting of what Paul or James is saying here about being a bondservant. So here we are in verse 2. Um, my fellow believers, when it seems as though you're facing nothing but difficulties, see it as an invaluable opportunity to experience the greatest joy you can. For you know that your faith, when your faith is tested, it stirs up in you the power of endurance, and then as your endurance grows even stronger, it will release perfection into every part of your being until there is nothing missing and nothing lacking. I'm going to read that uh, verse 3 again. When you know that your faith is being tested, it stirs up in you the power of endurance that even then, oh, excuse me, power of endurance, and then as your endurance grows even stronger, it will release perfection in every part of your being until there is nothing missing and nothing lacking. This is so important. Like, can we just stop here and take the next 10 minutes and talk about what James is talking about? You know, I loved Brian Fenimore's message the last two uh, months. You know, last week and then the month before, he was talking a lot about perseverance. He was talking a lot about, you know, finding yourself in a place where you're experiencing trials. Remember who James is writing to. These folks are experiencing trials. And he's saying, look, when you're experiencing these trials, this is an opportunity for you to touch something that is joyful. And can I just say that joy here, it's, um, it's really the hope of a good outcome, right? And so when I want to jump down to the, the, the last line here when it talks about it will release perfection in every part of your being until there is nothing missing, nothing lacking. This is what is going to equip us 
to live the life that we're being called to. Nothing missing, nothing lacking. Um, I want to share that since the beginning of the year, I began work. Uh, I began meeting up with a cohort. There's eight of us in this cohort, and we meet online every Wednesday morning about 7:30. And it's a cohort of people who are in full-time ministry, and whether they're pastors or chaplains. There's a guy; he's a chaplain for the army in Anchorage. And there's a woman in New York who is the head of a a ministry that works with uh, heroin addicts. So we got five different time zones represented and such a diverse group of people that move in so many different venues. Like there's one chaplain, she works at a hospital in Durango. And um, the number of deaths that she has been with families over the last two years I mean, the stories that she tells is just incredibly hard. And everything in between. And it's like, one of the things that we're doing, it's called a scripture circle. So we meet for an hour and a half every Wednesday morning. We've been doing this for about five weeks now, since the beginning of the year. And we're taking verse by, line by line, like word by word, and we're moving through Psalm 23. Do you realize that Psalm 23, when it says, God is my shepherd, I lack nothing. That it's the same phrase that James is saying here in verse four when he says that whatever you're going through, it has the power to bring something in your life that is transformative and you will lack nothing and you will have nothing missing. And in a, in a word that's called wholeness. So there is a, a transformative work of God that is active in our lives. And I think you said it, Mark, when you were leading us in worship, you were talking about how sometimes the difficult things are the very thing that help us come into that and our dependence on God. And so the key here, as we move through James's encouragement to behave ourselves and to watch what we say and to do life in a way that reflects the ways of Jesus as we're submitted as bond servants, the key to this is not behavior modification. It's a genuine acknowledgement that there is a power released in us that gives us the ability to endure, and that power that is at work within us gives us what we need for life and godliness. There it is. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the power of God at work within us. There is a power that is released when we are in the cauldron, you know, we're like pressed and we're, we're just getting like hammered. There's something of God that is active in that. It's like, I was thinking about this. It's like, okay, um, grapes are nice, but the fruit of the grape is even better. Olives are nice, but the oil is even better. It's like, what does it take for that to come? It's like a real pressing And so there's an active thing that if our lives are going to genuinely reflect the ways in the life of Jesus, we go through hardship. We have to endure. And that is the joy that can be set before us. Like there is something that God is doing that is transformative, that is empowering. I mean, Peter tells us this. As we know Jesus more, his divine power gives us everything we need for life and godliness. 
And contrast that with this like really strong statement that says, in the last days, people will have a form of godliness, but they will deny its power. I don't want to deny the power of God. We can have a form. I mean, and you know, if we're not careful, we can settle for a pretense of Christianity. Just like some of the folks I was describing earlier, they go to church every Sunday, they say they're a Christian, and yet the, the message of their life is actually, um, I mean, it's kind of a bold statement, but it's actually kind of anti-Christ. So I don't want to have like this religious self-reliance, a form of godliness. I don't want to deny the power. I, I want to be dependent on the greatest source of transformation, right? That's what we're talking about, the power and the presence of Christ in us that activates something in us when we face various trials and tribulations. This is what can help set us towards joy. This is what our hope for a good outcome is. Yeah, um, if you think about it, God may not give us the solution we want to the problems we face, but he will give us the interior life we need. Can I say that God is committed to our wholeness above everything else? Like if this is what God, our shepherd, is leading us towards, where we have nothing lacking, nothing missing. We have no lack in our lives. We, we have to know that this is what he's talking about. He wants us free. He wants us awake and alive. You realize that James is writing himself in the midst of trouble. Like, he was eventually murdered. So it's not like he's standing outside of the struggle and giving us big advice. He's in it. He knows firsthand the transformative power of God that comes from persevering. And so let's turn our gaze towards the source. Let's turn our gaze towards the interior life that God is offering us in order to live in the ways that are described in the Sermon on the Mount and in the book of James, okay? So I want to just kind of close it with a story. This last year has been um, a fairly hard year. Uh, for me, I actually, it's only hard because I'm actually aware of areas in my life that the Lord has put his finger on that need transformation. So it's hard and it's good. And I would say that a year ago, I started to come into a space where I honestly um, was really struggling with burnout, with just that sense of disorientation. And the Lord began to put his finger on that in my life. And he began to walk with me through just a process of experiencing new secure attachment to him. And he did that through a series of like counseling sessions, a series of prayer sessions with people, a series of deep conversations with people. 
The reason why I like to go to these huts isn't just to go slide around on snow. That's fun. But the reason why I like to go on these huts is because of who I get to go with. And I would invite each one of you there, but I'm just saying that the, the, the invitation that I've had to join with these folks is they go to the heart. They go into the deep stuff. They go into the conversations and this is where I'm like, hey, if you're sitting around a dinner table with people after church one day, go to the heart. Ask the questions. Listen. Discover. Because I'm telling you, that has been a source for me of tremendous healing. When I'm like able to share what's really going on, and I just would say that it's invaluable. But the Lord has brought me through just a series of things where he's brought me back to some old traumas in my life some old messages that I've agreed with that are not true about myself or about him or about other people. You have to know that the healing journey of transformation, it requires something of us. Most of us, we avoid the awkwardness in that. We avoid the pain that that might stir up. We avoid so often. But like I said before, God is more committed to our hearts than he is anything else, including us being comfortable, including us like, you know, just having a form of godliness, but denying the source, the power that brings transformation so that we're not just faking it until we make it. Like it's actually flowing from the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And anything that's getting in the way of that, the Lord in his kindness will bring us to a place of looking at it. And this is where, as a bond servant, we can yield to it. We can say yes. You're equipping me, you're empowering me for a greater thing beyond myself, and I want that. And so I'm just offering these thoughts and this sort of like reference point for myself just as an encouragement to each one of you that you don't have to be outside of the struggle in order to have impact. You don't have to be outside of the struggle just like James is not outside of the struggle. He's not just giving big advice like he's living in himself. And so you're not disqualified. I love what Henry Nouwen refers to as the wounded healer. Like Jesus himself is the wounded healer. You're a wounded healer. I'm a wounded healer. And I think just naming it what it is, like that's real. That's the condition of the life that we live. We're not there yet. We're in process that gives us an encouragement that we don't have to shrink. If you're experiencing hardship and tribulation and trials, just like James is writing to the people who have been scattered and find themselves in hardship, he's saying, rise up. He's saying, experience joy. Let the transformative power of Jesus in your life bring something that you cannot bring yourself. And that's my encouragement this morning from the book of James. So I would love for us to just stand.
and let's just put our hands out like it's Christmas. I mentioned something about Jesus being faithful to help me find new secure attachments with him. I want to bless you um, that each one of us can experience more of that. So Jesus, I want to ask for you, even as Mark led us in a time of centering prayer, where we were just saying words like, Abba, Father, you're so good. I pray that we would experience you in ways that really transforms us and really changes the way that we see ourselves or the way that we see you or others. And so, Jesus, thank you for your healing power. Thank you, Lord, that even as you're showing us in the book of James that there is something that is referred to as perfection, which really is wholeness, and you're speaking that to us as fractured people. So there's hope in this, that we are invited into wholeness. Jesus, thank you for your life that brings wholeness. Thank you for your words that bring wholeness. Thank you for your spirit at work with us, in us that brings wholeness. And so Jesus, thank you for the encouragement even this morning to do a deep dive into the book of James to look at how our faith not only justifies us before you, God, we thank you for the finished work of the cross. We thank you for the life exchange that we have with Jesus. We thank you for the power of the resurrection. We thank you for the authority in your ascension. And we thank you that our faith can be lived out in ways that are a natural flow of the fruit of your spirit in our lives. And so even this week, Lord, as we're challenged by this concept of being a bondservant, this is where you get to make it personal, friends. You just get to ask Jesus to show you any place in your life where you're resisting him. And so God, give us the grace to trust you. And I just want to bless you, my friends, bless you in the name of Jesus to experience intimacy with the source, Jesus. I bless you to experience times of reflection, times of like your your morning quiet times, times that you set apart where you just want to be with Jesus and center in on him, that he would meet you in ways that bring so much life to you. And I just pray that all of those times that you set apart to be with him would just have quick and easy access into his presence. I bless your ears to hear what the Spirit is saying, and I bless your spiritual eyes to see Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen.
It's our joy to offer these podcasts. We sure hope you enjoyed it. If you have any questions, any prayer requests, feel free to drop us a line at Fellowship at iCloud.com. If you're curious about ways you can be more deeply involved in this community, visit our website at EmmausFellowship.org and be sure to like our Facebook page.